You're listening to 43 Feet, a podcast about leadership. We believe that real leading happens out front, but that usually means you're probably building the next 43 feet of good road for those behind you while you're running the race yourself. My name is Frank Schwartz, known in the gloom of the early morning as Dark Helmet to my F3 brothers. Make way for Dark Helmet. All rise in the presence of Dark Helmet. Every week, I'll be talking with leaders in and out of F3, including regular appearances for my shared leadership team. If I'm going to do this, I'll need my news team at my side. News team, assemble! We're here for candid conversations, to answer questions from around F3 Nation, to pontificate wildly, teach leadership, and otherwise attempt to help you navigate the next 43 feet. And we're back. Hello and welcome back to the Three Boot uh, of the 43 Feet Podcast. My name is Frank Schwartz. I'm your host. Uh, you may know me as Dark Helmet, and uh, I am always excited to be joined uh, by my shared leadership team for F3 Nation, uh, upon which we sit, this this shared leadership team, these handsome and brilliant men, uh, well, mostly, mostly, uh, joined today uh, by the nation's weasel shaker, Mr. Eric Nowak, 41 42 i just had a birthday about a couple weeks ago oh that's right i forgot yeah 42 gobbler yes how you doing i and i have a um we have a bonus bonus one you're if you might hear us some uh bobbling in the background auto is uh, around my feet and we'll you know probably have some contributions i love it uh gobbler did not have a stroke and so he's not just babbling like a baby to himself uh but his his uh gosh how old is auto now he's probably is he is he a year yet not quite. He won't be a year till September. He's 10 months. Okay. Okay. I couldn't remember. I knew it was sometime. Uh, he was getting close. Knew he was getting close. Uh, so Otto is, is there in the background. Would he be like the assistant weasel shaker? We got to find him a title. I don't know. Uh, I don't. He's the disruptor. <laughs> <laughs> no, no question about that one. Also on the podcast today, the head of leadership development for F3 Nation, Seth Brown, 47, Bono. I'm glad you got that right. Since I typed it in the chat to make sure that you knew okay. how old I was, I was, you know, yeah. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here as always to uh, to have some fun today. So, yes, sir. Uh, as we were all getting ready today, uh, you know, guys were pulling up their special fancy microphones and whatnot, and and uh, Bono was like, "Hold tight a second. And a, a, as many of you may know, Bono is an educator. Uh, by profession and really uh, in my mind by d2x i mean that's that's what he is uh, in his heart and his mind he's a teacher and um he uh so he, <laughs> he runs off screen a little bit that he goes and grabs this old school i mean it's probably what 1970s 1980s looking uh, uh my microphone. Ferris Bueller. yeah exactly yes exactly like that yeah the ferris bueller where it's like you know the the pa mic that the principal would use to like do morning announcements or something like that and i was like i had a little ptsd because i was like oh the number of times that mike has been used to call my name in a high school setting <laughs> frank schwartz please report to the office frank schwartz please report to the office oh that's exactly right uh you know what's coming and it's probably iss anyway uh also on the call today the very handsome and talented head of it for the nation mr chris gambino 40 uh, bada bing. Finally. Thank you. And I, I, I hope that you saw that I wrote 40. 
I did see that. 40. Uh, Yeah, 40 body being. Appreciate you getting it right this time. Uh, Hey, no problem. I like messing it up, but I also like getting it right. Yep. How are things there in the Jack's Beach area? Doesn't get any better than Jack's Beach. I know there's a little ongoing battle between us and, uh, you know, the guys up. uh, Cape Fear. Cape Fear, right? But uh, I think we both can produce some video evidence of you saying that both of us are... uh, the best day in the country. So, so number one, I will plead the fifth. Number two, <laughs> until such evidence is produced, I will not make a comment. And number three, I'm an andist, Gambino. I'm an andist. It can be them and you. Yeah. Can't it? Sure. Can't we all sure. just get along? We've had some beautiful, beautiful beach beat downs lately. And I mean, I'm just loving every minute of it. And guys are yeah. having fun. They're getting in shape. It's a great time. It is. It is. And I, I love everything. I do. I do. Uh, I do remember being maybe quoted ish as, uh, you know, saying some of those kinds of things. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jacksonville, uh, Jack's Beach and, uh, you know, the Wrightsville Beach, Cape Fear, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it is just these are some beautiful parts of the world, in my estimation I, now. And I haven't made it out to the West Coast yet. So maybe those guys have better beaches. I couldn't tell you. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Uh Oh, gobbler. Go ahead. I was going to say, they're pretty, but uh, you don't want to get in the water. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, noted. (laughs) More on that later. Uh, But also joining us, the war daddy of the SLT, the the fantastic, uh, the intelligent, the operationally minded, uh, and and, uh, a dear, dear friend, Mr. Uh, GMO, the head of sectors for the nation, Steve Schaefer, 57. Yes. 57. Yes. You got it right. 57. I, I like to pretend that I'm coming up with it on my own. Even all of the, even though all of these guys <laughs> typed it into the chat or into their name. <laughs> so I get to look smart, even though it's just a lie. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, just uh, had a great weekend with the M and uh, did a bit of a CSOP with her while you guys were at GTE 30. We had 30 guys from St. Louis up there. I was yeah, you did for my rotator cuff. I, I can't lift heavy things. And I got to do the CSOP with my wife this weekend. So had a good uh, weekend with the M hanging out at the pool and watching Vikings, which is a stretch for me. I do not watch much TV and she loves Netflix. So, Interesting. Uh, we're in like episode 57 or something. That's crazy. Oh my goodness. So, oh my goodness. Now Gambino, you made kind of a face there when he said it was a seesaw with his wife. And you know what? I'm just going to leave it alone as well. Let's just, we're just going to gloss right over that one. Cause I'm not sure it's completely stupid or utterly pointless. No, it's probably <laughs> utterly purposeful. And it's it's purposeful. Yeah. There we go. Yep. I love it. I love it. Oh my goodness. Well, you know what? That actually uh, brings up a good uh, kind of a good segue, if you will, right? A good transition to uh, what we discussed uh, earlier that we may uh, cover as our topic today on the 43. And that is this, and I'll kind of throw it out there in a couple of ways. And we're seeing it. I think we're seeing it more and more. In fact, it was funny because I was in in Illinois this weekend where incidentally, the St. Louis guys outnumbered the uh, Illinois uh, or the uh, Naperville guys. Just, just saying. they did have more guys drive up. Uh, but the, the um, you know, we, we, one of the things we cover in gross school and, and dirt, you know, throughout the weekend is we talk about uh, the concentrica, right? We, we teach a little bit about that and kind of what relational rhythm is supposed to look like. And that's, you know, has a lot to do with our second F and accelerating those fellowship relationships, right? And making sure that those things are right. It has a lot to do with getting right and living right. <clears throat> and a number of guys came up to me. Uh, after teaching and they said, you know, some of the things you talked about 
just made me think a little bit differently about my M and about that relationship and how it ought to work. And some of the things they've talked about, and we've seen on the Slack and other places, and I know GMO, you have just countless discussions with guys, uh, both personally and as the head of sectors. Uh, and I would dare say that many of us uh, have those kinds of uh, discussions. I know Gobbler has with a lot of guys too, because of his particular situation and, and, and his former M and, cur- and current M. Um, so we, you know, this is part of the navigation of being a man right? Is how do we have relationships with these other people (laughs) with whom we have chosen to share our lives and how difficult can it be? And so there's sometimes there's a couple of different aspects of it, right? One is that we jump into F3 and we get super into F3. And then you start hearing things like, I think you like those guys more than me, uh, which is always a, you know, we, we joke about making F3 widows. That's a dangerous thought, but even outside of that, even if you're doing things and you're keeping things kind of in rhythm, one of the big challenges I think is that, uh, you know, we may have a sense of what it looks like to carve out the next 43 feet in terms of leadership, right? Carving out that next 43 feet. Uh, when we talk about uh, our life as packs, right. In our regions or, or in F3, we might have a good sense of, Oh, okay. I know what the next 43 feet could look like. And I'm going to try and, you know, lead and, and, and forge ahead. Right. We may have a good idea what that looks like at work, uh, particularly if we, we happen to be in a, a position of authority and, and kind of say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to lead here and I'm going to carve out that 43 feet. But sometimes I think it's very difficult for us as men to know exactly how to carve out 43 feet and lead uh, in our families. Uh, and in those those close and intimate relationships, and so you know, we talked before we got on the uh, you know before we started recording the podcast today. But like, how do we do this? What what, what do you guys have as kind of initial thoughts uh, as far as you know? A, I guess the difficulty of doing it, or B, maybe a direction to go with it. Uh, what what kind of strengths you as we get started here? I'll I'll start out. Just I think the first thing is just acknowledging that any. Um, important intimate relationship is going to be difficult at times. And it's just acknowledging that it's going to take effort. Um, Anything good is going to take a lot of effort. Um, I think for me, one of the things I love about the idea of the concentric is it really puts in the center who should be the center, Um, especially early on um, when I had kids. um, It's the whole idea of if kids are the center, then they're not going to have a mom around or a dad around because we're not going to be around each other and like each other. And so I think that focus on taking care of, of your M first, I think was one big aha for me of just sort of setting the stage right from the beginning. If I'm going to pour into the relationship, make sure that's, that's one that's definitely important because only if I pour in with to my M, can we then pour in together into the shorty? So I think it's that whole idea of, of my kids are so important in my life. So important. And if I get to do it with my bride, that is so much, so much more of a better way to take care of things. So focus yeah. on her first in order to focus on my kids. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I think uh, we spend a lot of time, you know, planning and doing all these things in our mammon and for queuing an F3 workout and leading other men. And sometimes we get into sort of a, a rut or a sense of being comfortable with our M or with our 2.0s that we don't have to plan or things will just naturally happen. And then it ends up that nothing happens, you know? And so uh, that may be with the time when the M says, Hey, you know, I feel like you get a lot more excited about hanging out with these sweaty dudes at five 30 in the morning than you do about hanging out with me. Or are you giving your best away to those guys or to your job when really they want our best and they want our first and they want our time. Right. And so I've been, 
certainly guilty of that many, many times and go through the struggles of trying to navigate uh, that concentric relationship with my wife and then my, my two point is. So one of the things when I started dealing with complex topics and these are complex topics because they involve people um, it's, it's to me and maybe to other people useful to start looking at assumptions that people bring to the problem. Right. So we can talk about it. We each have our own set of assumptions, but then obviously within the, the constraints of the marriage, two different people are bringing two different sets of assumptions of what they think it should be. And if we take a much broader view of the marriage relationship, we can need to be honest about the fact that the way it exists in America and the way we're exercising it today is not the way it's always been exercised throughout human history. And that's, that's just a fact. It's not pro or con. I mean, it's just the way it is, you know, you, some places still do arranged marriages, right? We, um, two houses down, I'm friend with a, 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 one of our neighbors from Gambia and we joke about our daughter and her daughter go to Gambia and hooking them up, you know, getting arranged marriages with boys from there. You know, it's, you know, it's a joke, but the fact of the matter is that there are still places that go through different means of, um, you know, coming to relationships. I had a company commander colleague of mine who is from India and he got on a plane one day and went to India and got married and came back. Um, never met her, you know, and that's, that's how they do things. And we look at that and go, how could that happen? Well, the fact of the matter is how you got to your marriage is irrelevant actually. How you got? I guess say irrelevant, but I I get where what you're I mean going. By that is successful ma- marriages can be successful regardless of whether or not you choose your mate or your or your parents choose your mate. I guess kind of in that sense, the history is replete with positive marriages from that, and it's replete with negative ma- marriages. And when I get to that, is is that really what makes it successful? Is the two people in it? Well, I think to your I think to your point, it takes work, right? And um, I think that's where we have to be willing to lay down that 43 feet, put in the work. And I, I heard a, 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 you know, a phrase one time that said, you know, life or marriage isn't, uh, the grass isn't green on the other side in your marriage. It's greener where you water it. Right. Well, or it could be greener because someone's spread manure over there. Easy tiger. Easy. Don't, don't let your bitterness. Now, you're taking wait. us down this hole. Not, not, Bottoming that 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 makes sense, right? It's greener where you water it. I think is a is a point of view of of what's the forty three feet of where do you want to water it? Where do you want it to to be successful? Where do you want to really make sure there's time for you and your bride to do things for you, you know, to take care of things? Part of the problem though is the grass in this analogy has the choice to shed the water off and not drink it if it doesn't want to. And, and that makes it often very difficult, I think. And, um, you know, w- one of the things that, uh, uh, you know, that, that came up over the weekend, again, you know, we're teaching about this stuff. And I said, now, gentlemen, if, you know, if you learn nothing else uh, over the weekend, here's the one thing I want you to take home. And that is M stands for most important. So you get to go home now and tell your wife and say, sweetheart, guess what I learned in grow school? You're the most important in my life. And a number of guys were like, uh, <laughs> I was like, well, brother, I don't know how to tell you now, but that's the thing, right? You, you don't necessarily, just because she's the most important, just because you're pouring all the way in doesn't mean it's going to magically turn around and then it's going to magically work. Right. It, it, it's not what that, that's not what that means. And that's not, it, that also doesn't have everything to do. It has some to do, but it doesn't have everything to do with leading in your family either. Go ahead, GMO. 
Yeah, I was just going to say with the hard part on that too, I heard a, a marriage seminar and, and the, the facilitator said, men need respect more than we need love. And the reason I, I say that it was so interesting, and I was like, that's exactly right, um, is that you can say she's the most important, but she's also the judge of does she feel like the most important? And that's the dynamic that's challenging because it feels like sometimes for me, I'm constantly putting things in front of her. Is this what you like? Is this what you want? Is this how you feel? How about this? How about that? And there's sometimes this kind of judgment of, no, that's not it. Keep trying. We joke that, that she says all five of the love languages are her love language. Or I've heard that women are a complex symphony and you've got to figure out, you know, for the right day, for the right moment, what tune to play. And while it's challenging, uh, it's difficult, it's important, it's critically important for her to feel the authenticity of what she deserves and that you've got to keep working at it to woo her, to win her over. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a bit of a flux in my life recently, just because I'm realizing that F3 helped me get right and stay right honestly, stay right for the last four years of things that I've shed from who I used to be. And so I've changed. And she's expecting maybe this guy who is going to do as he's told, like I've grown up a people pleaser mm. and little boys are going to be seen and not heard. And now I'm stronger. I'm more stable. I have opinions that I think matter. And it's really disrupted her perspective of who I was and maybe easier to manage and tell what to do. And that's F3 has really disrupted that in my relationship. So I'm trying to recover from it, uh, stay focused on who I am and, and, and where I think I need to go. Um, but also manage the dynamic relationship that maybe she's in a different place and, and how do we move both of us forward um, so that we can both be satisfied, happy, joyful, um, and kind and welcoming in um, both of what we, we want to do and how we want to do it in our relationship. No, that's, that's, uh, that's really, really good. Go ahead, Mono. Yeah, you got me thinking, GMO, the whole idea of respect and, and love. And um, I think part of it for me is in several trainings I do, we, we talk about that the, the manifestation of respect is listening to someone. So if I think about how do I know what someone loves me, they give me the time, um, the time to listen and, and they're there. So I think that's, that's part of sort of, it makes sense. I think you got me squirreling my head a little bit to the side. When you first said that I was like respect more than love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, all right, I can sort of see that and, and sort of the alignment between the two and how being able to, to listen is, is respect. And if I, am heard and you really listen to me and you understand me and you really seek to understand me, then that's, I don't know, in a sense, that's sort of love, but it's also respect, I think. So, yeah. And I would say that probably that, that Venn diagram has a fair amount of overlap in the respect and love circles, but yeah, go ahead, GMO. Yeah. I was just going to say too, at work, here's kind of this organizational hierarchy of respect in the gloom. There's this influential 
level of respect you get and it's it's more difficult and you know you've got a, a long history in a marriage of failures and um you know sin and addiction that you're you've got to also make sure that that you continue to stay focused on and overcome but it can be difficult to you know rebuild trust in in those types of relationships the best way to do it honestly as we know is surround yourself with a bunch of dudes that are going to keep you accountable um, and make sure they know when you're getting ready to fail. Um, but you've got to, you know, be consistent with your M to make sure that that trust continues to um, flourish. I think one of the things that, um, you know, you kind of talked about, Jamie, is it's very easy to fall into this, um, I'll call it a trap, of where you you feel like you, or you, it's this uh, daily activity of trying to make your wife happy. And um, some of that, it comes from a, a good place, I will contend. But it's a it's a trap because you one I don't think your wife our wives want us to make them happy. I mean I think yes they want us to do things and, and do loving actions, but I actually think that a healthy woman doesn't need don't does not need a man to make her happy. Yeah. Um, and that's very task oriented and it's not person oriented. I um and I was I got caught in that trap in my my first marriage, um, and and it obviously it, it did not go well. <laughs> What I th- I think is a maybe a different dynamic is instead of trying to make your wife happy, introduce a mission to pursue together. And so one of the things I think that we see, and we've seen this in GTE, I've seen in the Army, the, the people that I feel the closest to at any given time are the people of which I am pursuing a mission with. We have a common goal. We have a common, common purpose. And then... Because you have a mission, I think it gives a venue for leadership to grow naturally. And so, you know, instead of looking at it as, you, you know, hey, I got to make you happy today. What is, it, what is it you want for dinner tonight? Think of life as a common purpose or you have a common purpose. And then all those other things are no, can tend to kind of fade in the background and become noise around that. Otto gave a nice um, squeal of, of agreement there. Uh, and, and I love what you just said there, Gavin. In fact, I've, I've counseled men many times uh, in the past to do that, um, which means chances are good. I, I may have heard you say it or something. Who knows? Uh, I'd like to think that I'm a genius and came up with it myself. So I'm going to go with that for now. But um, but uh, but that's exactly it, right? Is is becoming missional with your wife, because we talk about groups, right? At a Q source and, and that sort of thing. We talk about teams and communities and uh, you know, and, and that sort of thing. Right. Um, and the team being, they are both proximate and they have common purpose. Um, and, and so you and your wife are a team dread and I fought about whether or not, uh, your family is a community because they didn't choose to, your kids didn't necessarily choose to be there. And I said, well, you can still have a common mission and be approximate. I, I think, you know, so we may disagree on that, but the the point being that that, that is a way to do it. Now, the, the challenge, of course, I guess, would be to come up with this common mission and, and both be on the same page as to what it would be, particularly uh, when it does not involve the shorties and when they are not uh, in, in your house and you, cause that's an easy one to point to, right? That's an easy one to say, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Our common mission is to raise these kids. Oh crap. They're raised. Now what, you know, <laughs> and they leave and you could be aligned a lot of times on, you know, handling the crises or, you know, whatever it might be when, when the kids are involved, particularly when they're little. Uh, but as they grow and start leaving the house and, and part of the reason I think about this is, you know, the 18 year old in my house is uh, headed to college this, 
this uh, fall here in a, in a couple of months. And I'm kind of looking and going, this is going to go a lot faster than I wanted it to. Because <laughs> you know? you know? the middle one's just a couple years behind that. And then the last one's just a couple years behind that. And then I'm stuck with this woman, not stuck. And then it's just me and this woman, uh, you know, for another what? I mean, I'm 47 now. So that means, you know, actuarially speaking, I've got at least 30, if not 40 more years and our kids will be gone, um, you know, out of the house in the next seven, you know, six, six or seven. So I've got, you know, 30 some years to hang out with this lady all by myself. And boy, I tell you what, if our mission was only surrounding those kids, we're going to be screwed, you know? So we've got to figure out what's our common mission together uh, and, and try and, and I guess it can shift, right. But, and try and come up with that. I, I saw, you know, so Bono then Gobbler, go ahead. You, you, Gobbler got me thinking a little bit when he used the word pursue and, and I don't know how he meant it one sentence and it just, that word just, I guess, got me thinking about sort of what you're leading to is, is how do you constantly pursue your end, right? Your bride is, is the phrase I got from a scout leader long, long time ago. Guy was 78 years old, Arnie Forma. And he called Miss Arlie's bride from the beginning. And so that's just, I don't know, that sign of respect and, and pursuit, you know. No, that's day. just an Eastern North Carolina thing. That's, that's, it, well, that's it's way. probably a, a Bono and Arnie Formo thing. Uh, it's a little weird, but it's, it's one of those things I think for me is that it just, for me, it symbolizes just that thought, that pursuit, that maybe just not pursuit in, in a sense, like I'm trying to get the hot girl, but it's just this constantly striving to, to be in connection. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the things, I mean, I, like you, I have an 18 year old going to college. Um, then I have a 16 year old who's just got her driver's license last week. So the time with my bride and I is much more intense because it's, uh, it's one of those things where we, um, we have more time. We're, we're not constantly shuffling kids all around and they don't have to be the center of the universe. So it's, it's shifting, which is most of the time in the nice, nice way. And then always we have to sit down and have that conversation. Yeah. I think too, there's an aspect of this, uh, how many marriages would have a mission to continue to love and serve and date each other versus I see a lot of marriages that are focused on raising their children. And if you, to your point, Doa, if you don't have that broader mission of who you are as a couple, when the kids move out, one of the people in that marriage still wants to be a father or mother and be very involved in their lives, which prevents the marriage from going into the next evolution mm. where you can continue to come back to maybe be more of one as two people. Uh, because the kids have have left. And it's a little bit of, I think, of fear where one parent isn't ready to grow up into the next phase of their relationship because they're comfortable being needed and involved in the drama of their little kids' lives, their teenagers' mm -hmm. lives, and their college kids' lives and into the, the future of, of their kids' marriages, hopefully, which then creates more dynamic and difficulty because you got to in-law who wants to be involved in your kid's marriage more than right. you probably should as well. Right. Which creates right. other dynamics. Right. So there's yeah. a bit of a, I think a man's responsibility to start to define these phases and influence or pursue your M in a way that she's excited for you two to come together, to have your own life, because it's going to let your own children grow up and live their own lives. 
Boy, and I, I hear what you're saying there, kind of vaping uh, in that sense to carve out that 43 feet with your wife, right? Cast some sort of vision there. Uh, although I would say I will not recommend to you to say, you know, it seems like you love these kids more than you love me. The way she would talk about F3, <laughs> don't do that. Go ahead, Gob. Well, you know, the interesting is, as we're talking about this, um, we're really, as I said, some of the assumptions we're making is we're talking about the nature of what family is and and what it's not. And what is unique to the United States is if you travel, well, I would say the Western culture, so Europe and the United States, is that the family is that is the nuclear family. You got the mom, the dad, the kids, and that's the family. And yeah, you had the extended family, but really the people that exist within the four walls is just that. When if you go to other cultures and for much of human history, the family is a much more network um, piece. In fact, you know, when you look at Rome, the the Caesar family is what ruled Rome. It wasn't just Caesar. It was his, it was his family network. Right. And so families were this is this much more network based thing that a that you led that as you grew up just because your kids left your house you still continue to lead them as a father you had this patriarchal figure that and matriarchal figure that exude that you know exuded influence or um put influence upon the greater network you know and in a healthy dynamic you know i think gmo is kind of expressing an unhealthy dynamic whereas as the parents get older, they continue to control the children. And they want to be part of it because of an absence within themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think on the same side, you can have a healthy dynamic where parents remain influential in their children's lives Absolutely. and they help and they help them because let's be honest, just because we're 40 just, and we're out of our parents' home doesn't mean, you know, they, they've been 40 before they've been 50 before they've had knee replacements. They've had all these things. So they still have, experiences to share with us you know and I, as i'm looking at, at this next phase of my life where i have a teenager 13 but at the same time i have my dad who is he's going to pass soon it's just a matter of what, what how's that going to look like is it going to be short is going to be long and so my mom is going to move into this phase of her life where she doesn't have my dad for the first time in 45 years she will not have a man in her life you know and i can already begin to see because there's three boys, uh, you know, I'm the middle one. I can begin to see that she's moving towards, towards um, probably myself to, for, to follow leadership. My brother probably won't listen to this podcast. So I don't have to worry too much, but I know my older brother won't, but my younger brother's in it. <laughs> um, no, no, nothing against Madonna. Um, but, you know, she's, she's, she's looking for that next, you know, you know, person to follow and to get advice from even in her, at her point. And I think taking a step back, we, we don't need to confine ourselves to, to what we make our own family and we decide what it is and we can decide how we lead that family. Yeah. Um, and even if we grab people that aren't biological into that family, you know, we, we can come, we create that common purpose, whether that's raising kids, that, that's only one mission that you and your wife can have. Maybe it's running a business together. Maybe it's serving in church together. Maybe it's, you know, Paige comes alongside and helps with F3, you know, and then I go and help no her. chicks, dude. I didn't say <laughs> Just kidding. It was a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. She's not going to show up to the workout, but <laughs> she definitely, you know, helps in her with, sure. her with her skills. And I think because she helps me and then I help her. We have now we have two missions. Instead of each going alone, we work together and both missions are better because we're helping each other. Sure. Yeah. And that's definitely a good way to look at it. Go ahead, Bono. To pivot on your uh, theme of family gobbler, which I think is great. I think right now, one thing that men 
constantly need to be reminded of and realize is that today's war is on the family. It's to neutralize men, right? And so it's hitting you from all angles every day, from culture to the shiny thing syndrome of what's next. Oh, this is exciting to me, that, this, that. And then distractions. I mean, just this week, my M said, hey, I just think you got a lot of distractions in your life, you know? And that was like, oof, hit me right in the chest, you know? And it's like, but wait, she's right. You know, I've got a, you know, cell phone in my hand constantly. I've got podcasts in my ear. Hopefully you'll listen to this one, at least this one this week, but all the other ones, maybe put it down and get back to the basics of communication. And if you don't have a mission, figure out what that mission is. I think, you know, for my wife and I, um, it's similar to, you know, the faith aspect of F3, of believing in something bigger than yourself is, you know, sort of the, um, the glue and everything that holds it all together as the brotherhood. But in a marriage, you know, having your faith and having something that grounds you that's bigger than yourself, something that you can believe in and strive towards is going to hold it together. Because when you're having an off day or your M's having an off day, I have many more off days than her. She's a spiritual one in our marriage, but I can always go back and trust that God's going to keep this thing together by the grace of God, go I every single day. And I remind myself of that because we are two imperfect people put together um, to try and, you know, shine light into the world. Um, And something I read about authentic manhood a while back, and I was trying to invest this into my son, um, was just around as men rejecting passivity, taking responsibility and leading courageously in our families. And um, it's really difficult to do. It's easy to say and easy to tell your son, that's the kind of man you want him to be. But then you've got to then start living it out. Right. And that's the hard part. And I think think you should, you should be this way and you should probably find a man who can exhibit that for you and follow him. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. One of these F3 guys here. They're they're super good guys, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's um, a constant battle against the culture, against Satan, against your own flesh and uh, lustful desires or whatever it might be, pride of life. Um, No, no man, I don't think likes to hear that he might be wrong or that his opinion isn't uh, respected or, or great guidance. I know I was, uh, I like to sometimes do things in my marriage the way I would do them at work or with mammon where I put it on my calendar. And one day my M told me, Hey, I appreciate you taking me out to coffee to connect, but I don't like the fact that it's on the calendar. Okay. Maybe be a little more spontaneous. Honey, could we not do it over Zoom this time? I feel like I think that goes back to just knowing your wife, knowing your spouse. And it it takes uh, a lot to know them because you know, my my wife is different than me. She's female, I'm male. So we think differently. And and that's where the work comes in. So yeah, I'm gonna leave well, it at that. Agree. Agree. You guys have, have got me thinking. Um had a conversation with Tommy Boy a little while ago because they were talking him and Italian job did and stuff worth trying. They talked about three big questions. Um, and there's a book and GMO, you may know this. It's a Patrick Lencioni book about three big questions for a frantic or frantic family. Um, so we do a lot of Lencioni stuff and he's, he's good. And I think that the idea behind it for me is it's what are the best practices that work for a successful business or company? Why don't we do those same things for our family? So they ask, you know, what makes your family unique is the first one. And it's basically what, what it's, 
basically your dolphin for your family, right? Or, or what is this, what is our, our, our key sort of indicators or the key thing this business is designed to do? Because too often we try to do everything, which means we're good at nothing. So it's, what is our family unique? The second one is what is our top priority, our rallying craft right now? So it could be, for example, that we need more quality core for family time, just the four of us, right? And so you outline that, that's sort of in a sense, your goal, right? That's what it is right now. That's the key thing. And then what they talk about is the next question is then how will we talk about and use these answers to these questions? So in other words, you have things like if you have your core values or you have, have your things you're going to focus on once a week, are you even going to just check in? And in business terms, a lot of times I see people um, do this where it's just the red, yellow, green, like a check-in. If we want to plan a family vacation and we've planned it, it's green, so we can go on, right? But if we want to talk about school and we're not focusing on on what's right for school, and the, you know that's then that's yellow. So there are things we need to focus on. So that becomes a priority because it's not aligning to what we're doing. So that concept, I think, for me, of if we're really good at business, we know how to do these things in business. It's easy to lead in business. Part of my aha when you guys were talking is why the heck don't we approach some of these best practices in our family? What's our and, vision? Have yeah, we articulated and, and that? adapt them accordingly, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, no, totally so, adapt yeah. them accordingly. Totally, totally. As long as we don't overprogram our failure, right? So, bada bing's like, uh, honey, I've got the, I've got the kids uh, on a Zoom at the ten fifteen and ten twenty five. Not like uh, that, you know, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's but, but so, but, what's the best practice? And and if those things are successful at work, right. why not make it right? Yeah, adapt it and, and use like, it. GMO. Yeah, I was just going to say, too, that the same guy who said men need respect more than love, that what women need uh, in general is quality time. And so, you know, what's really resonated with me and advice that I've taken myself or give other men is, is to make sure that they know that date nights save marriages. And it's, it's a little bit of date your wife every day, right? Both physically with her, but emotionally, almost like you're pursuing her or trying to get to know her. I've realized too that, you know, it's like I'm changing, you know, there's been some resistance to the changes I've made, but have we really talked about it? Like every day we're changing every day is an opportunity to date your wife and get to know her and be interested in her life and, um, and just know her more emotionally and, and the changes that she's going through that we're going through uh, in our marriage and, and, and as, as with our kids as well. So um, I just, that's the best advice I, I've also said is like every day you've got to decide to be married to your wife every day. She's changing every day. You've got to say, I choose to marry you. Um, uh, even as, as in those hard times and then difficult times, it's like, this is going to make us stronger and we will get through this. And I think as men, we've got to be, you know, manning up and we can't be adolescents. We can't be another kid in the house that she's got to raise, um, that we've got to step up and recognize all of it's our responsibility to get done. So when somebody does something to help us, you can be grateful versus when they don't, you're resentful and disrespected. So I think there's just a lot of mindsets uh, that we can uh, put and infuse in our lives and our marriages that can help us uh, support each other and, and also have a, a marriage that's dynamic in a good way, dynamic and flourishing in an awesome, outstanding way. Um, in my wedding ring is uh, grow old with me. The, the best is yet to be. And so we've always had this vision towards holding hands as an old couple, having raised a family and the good stuff in our lives. 
So for us, it's a bit of a vision as to kind of how we want to feel when we are uh, walking into our graves. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you know, you're, you're not going to walk there. <laughs> I'm not immortal. I'm, I'm not. That's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Eventually you'll walk out of it, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Go ahead, Gob. I, I think a lot of it, what we're talking about is this, this aspect of intentionality. It's just being intentional about it. You, you can go through life and make life, or you can go through life and have life happen to you. And a lot of these things, you have to be intentional. You have to have time management, but, and, and without, with, within that. And one of the things I, you know, one of the biggest lessons I took from my previous marriage into my, to my current one is this idea of um, communication. One of the reasons um, and I'm not saying I, I don't, I don't know if my first marriage would have, would have um, made it through if this, if I had fixed it in there, I don't probably not, but it's this idea of uh, when you have communication, I think a lot of us unintentionally place fences around what we will talk to our wives around about. And because we're afraid of their response, all right, we're afraid of what's going to happen. We're afraid of, oh, if I do that, she's going to get mad. Or if I do that, she'll what fill in the blank, you know? Um, and a lot I, of times those are just stories that we tell ourselves, right? Absolutely. But, but I'm going to tell you, this is a um, quick story when um, towards the very, very end of my first marriage, it, I had gotten to where there was just something I wouldn't tell my wife. And I got to a point and I told her, and it was the only time in my life where I've had the experience of, of a physical weight being lifted off my chest. Like it literally felt as if someone lifted a hundred pound block off my chest because I got it. Like the term got it off my chest was like absolutely literal in that moment. Now, me getting off my chest at that point in the marriage, you know, did not do anything for the marriage because there was so much damage. Oh, it did now. something. Yeah, it, it, it accelerated it out, out, out. of. But the point is that, you know, you don't want to get to that point. And so, you know, when you think about it, you know, and I, I would ask, what is it that you're so afraid to tell your wife and why? Now, I'm not telling you to go tell her right now. That, that, that's not what I'm saying. But you need to at least have that conversation and think about it. And you probably need to talk to some guys about it. And ask yourself why. And if there's some fear attached to it, then be honest about it. And at you know, and hopefully you can work to a point where you can. I'm going to come out and say it. Most men are fearful that they won't have sex or get sex for a week, and you know they just uh, bury it. But I agree with you, Gobbler. Like, let's not do that. We've got to. We can't stomp around, and we've got to be able to communicate effectively with our wives, right? Yeah, uh, and. And, and not to interrupt, because we, we got we to wrap it up, but um, yeah, but they do, they, they, you know, there are things that you bury, right? And, and I get that. And, you know, just to kind of give a, and I hope I don't take too long doing this or that doesn't, it's not totally nonsensical, but did, did any of you guys see the movie um, Phenomenon with uh, John Travolta? Do you remember that one? No, a lot of no's. No, nobody saw that one. Well, I encouraged guys once to go watch it. And a bunch of guys watched it and they were like, that was the worst movie. I don't know why you made us watch it. It was terrible. But let me just tell you what happens. Just kind of a high level, right? So John Travolta, uh, I'll spare you the whole details of the plot, but there's this one part where he uh, becomes enamored. You know, there's the love interest, right? That's typical for a movie. Um, so there's this love interest, this woman that he's, you know, interested in or whatever. And she makes these uh, chairs out of like old wood, like old branches and stuff like she, you know, bends it and, and all that kind of stuff and, and shapes it into these rocking chairs. And 
Travolta in the movie owns like a, I think it's like a body shop or like a, you know, just a little service station or something like that. Right. And that's where he works. And he said, Hey, well, you know, Hey lady, that's new to town that I think I kind of like, I see that you make these chairs. I'd be happy to offer them, you know, in the front of my store as, you know, something people could buy. And so they do that. And then pretty soon, you know, later in the movie, it's like, man, I need some more chairs. These things are, you know, they're just selling like hotcakes. It's buck wild, right? People just love these chairs and she's totally uh, enamored and just like, oh, this is so neat. And that's kind of the way that, you know, it, it's a way that they sort of bond and, and get to know each other and come together, right? Is over, over the fact that he offered these chairs later in the movie, she's mad at him for whatever reason. It's a long story. Uh, I would encourage, again, I would encourage you to watch it, but you'd hate it apparently. So that's what most guys, but she goes to his house to yell at him and she sees that his entire porch and garage are full of her chairs. He's the one that's been buying them all because all he wanted was another excuse to have her come to the place and he could see her. And so my wife and I, I don't remember if I forced her to watch this or if it was voluntary, (laughs) but we watched this somewhere early on in our marriage and we made a commitment to always seek to buy one another's chairs right? To find that thing that's important. You know, we talked about pursuing and and things along those lines, right? My wife sings, she classically trained and all that kind of stuff, sings in operas and and blah, blah, blah. And when we started having kids, obviously that was one of those things that kind of fell off a little bit and whatever. And one of the things that she has deeply appreciated is that I have said many times, the world uh, is better when your voice is out there in it. And I will watch children. I will sacrifice whatever it has to be. And sometimes it is super inconvenient, like, and kind of annoying, you know, like to have, especially on a, on a recital week or a, or a concert week, rather, you know, when it's like, oh, you're going to be gone every night this week for four hours. That sounds great. <laughs> no, it sounds terrible. It's the freaking worst. You know, I don't want to deal with all these kids and all this crap we got to do. You know, like, I don't want to make dinner. That's hard. I'm not that smart. I'm a terrible cook, you know, right. But it doesn't freaking matter because the mission is to buy the chairs. The mission is to pursue. And, uh, and that's just one of those things that, uh, that has made a, a huge difference in our marriage and the way that we approach things and has kept us, you know, 21 years long now where when we're sending kids out, yes, it's sad and yes, it's hard, but we're looking at each other and going, you know what? It's okay because our chairs will be here and we will continue to buy them. And my chairs might change, you know, nature over time. Um, but that's why, you know, I'm allowed, if you will, quote unquote, allowed uh, to go to all the GTEs that I go to and to do all these other things. Cause she knows that that's, that's my chairs, mm-hmm. you know, being with the men and, and doing those things and, and being supportive to them and helping them. That's my chairs and my daughters see it now. And they're, and all the time, my daughters are like, in fact, <laughs> It's a little side story, but like my daughter, my oldest was like, dad, I need you to give me some advice on how to deal with creepy guys at work. And I was like, uh, you mean outside of me just making them disappear, you know, <laughs> like outside of that, what kind of advice exactly do you need? But she said, they really need you. They really need you. These guys need you. These guys need F3 is what she, I mean, like, that's what she said they need. Right. And I was like, and my wife sees that and she says, yeah, you I'll buy those chairs all day. Right. Because it's clear that it's, it's more than just, you know, a hobby that you have or whatever it is. So anyway, uh, just, just kind of a parting thought, uh, as we wrap it up here, um, PAX, it, we know it's not easy. Uh, but like we always say, if it was easy, we wouldn't need leaders. All right. We'll see you on the next episode of the 43 feet.
Thanks for listening to the 43 Feet Podcast. If you like what you heard on the show, or if it's helped you in some way, we'd ask you to rate us, write a review, and share us with your friends and networks. It really does help others to find us. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, write us at questions at 43feetpodcast.com or tweet us at 43feetpodcast. The climb we're on to create virtuous leaders isn't going to be easy, but we'll get there 43 feet at a time. Thank you.